Hi everyone, David here. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. If you like what you hear and want access to more of our fascinating in-depth content on the energy transition, you need to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for just €29, Euros, which will get you full access to our website and app. We also have a wide range of subscription packages to fit you or your company's needs. Follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. My name is David Weston and with me once again is Jan Rosenau of the Regulatory Assistance Project and Michaela Hull of Agora Energy Vendor. Hi team, are you both well? Yes, all good in Brussels, thanks. I'm very well. Um, I'm going to Australia on Thursday for the first time in my life to uh, present at a big conference, so I'm quite excited about that. There's a national energy efficiency conference with a focus on actually the topic we're going to discuss today it's on electrification efficiency and energy management sort of flexibility so that that's that's the topic and i'm going to speak there next week well at least one is prepared then also for the discussion today <laughs> extremely well prepared michaela as always Excellent. Excellent. Yes. As Jan said this week, we're delving into the role households can play uh, and end users in the energy transition, specifically providing flexibility services. With millions of homes across every nation, once combined and electrified, they could provide substantial flexibility capacity to grid operators. Business models and services are constantly evolving and entering the market, but with so much noise, it must be difficult for many of the households to know which will benefit them the most, whilst also advancing the energy transition. To talk through the potential of household flexibility where homeowners can also gain, our guest this week is Tobias Mitter from GridX, a German software company that helps building operations and energy management. Tobias, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hi, Dave. Hi, Michaela. Hi, Jan. Glad to be here. Uh, Tobias, perhaps you could talk a little bit about uh, GridX, what sort of uh, products you supply, and can you give a couple of examples of technologies that households can use to provide smart grid services? Sure. So Critix provides a platform for energy management of decentralized energy resources. And um, that's, and we do that for homes um, as well as for EV charging stations or also smart districts. And um, we uh, provide not only a cloud platform that does the energy management, but also a piece of hardware that uh, sits in your home and that makes sure that uh, all the different uh, energy resources like a heat pump, like a wall box, PV, uh, are managed in a smart way. And that maybe brings me right to your first question um, to, to give an example of, of what we see in households today. Um, so um, it, it varies across Europe, but um, the um, typical co combination of um, digital energy, energy resources we see is uh, a lot of people thinking about getting PV on the roofs um, with electric cars on the rise. Also, wall box at homes become uh, becomes more common. Um, and uh, we have uh, a big heat pump discussion in Germany. Uh, in Nordics, it's not even a discussion anymore. Yeah, they're <laughs> way, uh, far more advanced there. So uh, it, if you only take these through um, these three things uh, to manage them in a in a good way, so that we um, don't create um, grid congestions and a lot of pressure on the grid. Uh, and also maximize the, the benefit for the homeowners. Uh, that, that's the big topic we are talking about right now. Tobias, have you uh, looked at the potential for peak load shifting? You know, like let's say you have an electric vehicle, you have a heat pump, maybe you even have a battery. To what extent 
can customers using your services or services from other companies that um, have similar offerings reduce their peak loads and shift that consumption to off-peak periods? Is there any data on that that you've collected or seen from your own customers or, or other studies that have been done on this? Yeah, it's it's still an early market. Um, so um, there, um, many of, of, of the data comes uh, currently from from the Nordics, but also we are gathering data from from other European countries as things are being rolled out. What we see is that um, with local energy management, um, you have um, the chance to increase self consumption or auto key up to to a level of over eighty percent, which is um, already. A great benefit, especially if you combine this then with um, uh, time of use tariffs and also managing towards time of use tariffs. This um, a huge role um, um, is uh, there um, coming to batteries and also to bidirectional charging, uh, which we which we see also now in uh, in Germany and also in Europe, but also in the United States, for example, in California, um, um, com coming up to uh, increase additional um, uh, load management capacity at home. But um, the first, um, uh, to put some numbers to it, what we see, for example, in, uh, in Sweden, if you combine local load management with time of use tariffs, uh, we see that customers can save um, at least one euro, if not even more per day which uh, then uh, results in something like uh, above uh, 350, 400 euros per, per year um, compared to uh, traditional tariffs if you um, provide uh, peak shaving and also um, dynamic load management to make use of time-of-use tariffs and optimize self-consumption. If I may come in, I have to say I was first a bit surprised and I can offend Bavaria because I come from Bavaria. But when I saw startup from Bavaria on digital, my first reaction was like, wow, that's a hostile environment to create such a product. Because I mean, if I remember, I don't know if these trends have changed, but I remember always Germany being the last member state when it came to smart meters deployment, right? And also in general, digital infrastructure. So you, your your idea has been created in a hostile environment, uh, and, and so and then this. Um, so I don't know. Like, how is it? I mean, how do you how do you see things moving? The German government has announced a new digital plan. So, but I mean, the pace is quite slow in Germany. You would agree, or is it? Is you are you not looking primarily at this market? Yeah. So um, we are basically um, in two locations. So it's Munich and Aachen, um, uh, also in Germany, a smaller town in Germany. And um, to, to be honest, the environment in Munich is um, for tech startups is um, quite, quite good. Yeah? So we have a lot of good candidates from universities here. Also, the quality of living is quite high. So when it comes to attracting talent, um, Munich is a good place to be. Um, when it comes to um, the speed of the energy transition in Germany, uh, Michaela, I'm fully with you. We all would have wished for more speed in Germany, for sure. Um, but uh, Gridix is um, also um, working in other markets for that reason. So for example, uh, Nordics, uh, but also in the Netherlands, UK. Uh, we um, And we see different use cases emerging in, in those different markets because of different local regulation, also different maturity of the market. And um, if you look to Sweden or also to the Netherlands, where smart meters are well established uh, for years now, um, 
there are learnings and also um, product rollouts we do successfully in those markets that will benefit the German market as they hopefully catch up soon. No? And how many home customers then do you have at the moment in Germany? In uh, Germany, it's a couple of thousands homes um, that use our energy management system. And um, we will uh, see a tenfold increase probably uh, this year. Um, so we see a lot of momentum um, in, in the right direction. Um, and for for us, it's um, smart accelerating smart meter would would also help. Um, but but we are moving forward anyway because there are also use cases in optimizing uh, self consumption, for example, um, that that you can do uh, in parallel to to the smart meter rollout. Yeah. I've actually used flexibility services myself for quite a while now, and I found them tremendously beneficial. Um, yeah, we have. A heat pump I had this since 2019, and since the beginning, uh, we've been on a time of use tariff. Uh, there's some pretty interesting tariffs in the UK, and before the energy crisis, we saved about 50 percent, maybe even 60 percent in a good year on our bills just by uh, automating the operation of the heat pump. And there are apps out there that actually track the wholesale market price and automate all of that for you. Uh, and we've done the same with an EV. But I, what I wanted to ask you uh, is, to what extent are you seeing a shift from kind of the energy geeks, the early adopters, you know, people like myself who really love this stuff because they actually work on it, um, to the people who you really need to reach to make this a mass market product, you know, not, not energy experts, people who yeah. don't really want to think about the – Uh, issues of grid congestions and the benefits of integrating renewables and you know, all the things that we get very, very excited about, but who just want to charge their car, um, run their heating system or do, do whatever they want with electricity and save some money. So wh where are we on that S-curve of, of adoption? Um, are we still in that early phase where you know, it's, it's, it's just energy geeks like myself doing it? Or are you seeing a transition towards the mass market happening. It, that's a super important point, Jan, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, because um, when I think of my uh, mother and my sister, for example, uh, they haven't even heard of energy management. Yeah, And and, all, and today also they don't care. So um, the the mass market is still ahead of us and we are still in an, in an early adopters um, phase, if I may put it that way where you have a lot of people also personally interested in, in making impact and, and, and understanding these kind of things. So I feel 2023 from what we see at our customers will be a, a very important year because we will see a shift of um, pilots and early adopters joining um, to really um, larger rollout numbers, um, not only in Germany, but uh, also especially the Nordics, uh, Netherlands, etc. Um, where speed is really picking up. This also brings new challenges because um, early adopters are um, really into understanding how does my wallbox work, how does my heat pump work, how can I optimize it, and also are really interested into getting into the details of it. Um, my sister and my mom, they are not. Yeah, They just want to have like a hot shower in the morning. They want to know that the car is charged when they want to leave the home. And um, this is where I believe a lot of um, the solutions we see out on the market need to mature significantly this year because 
if we want to get this right and if we want to make energy management really a mass market thing, uh, we also need to think differently about it um, to win over um, my parents, probably also your parents, uh, to to join uh, the energy transition um, and really um, uh, reap the benefits of energy management. And it sounds like you would think that that happens just like this without regulation or Or do you think it will need also regulation? And if so, what type of things? I, I do believe it also needs uh, regulation. And we, we do see uh, in general um, movement in the right direction. Um, so, for example, time of use tariffs becoming more common. UK was uh, quite, quite early there. Uh, also the Nordics, but, but the rest of Europe also moving in that direction. Smart meter rollout are also important um, steps, uh, especially here uh, in Germany. That's been um, delaying things quite, quite a lot. So, uh, yes, it needs regulation. There's also the whole game of flexibility that is still still in an early um, stage and uh, we'll, we'll need to be monitored closely. We at Gridix primarily focus on what we can do, of course, from with our energy management platform and how we can support it. But if I take, for example, the, um, the 14A discussion uh, of the German Energy Industry Act, um, where it's about um, the um, grid operators being able to curtail um, then wall boxes or heat pumps and private homes in order to Uh, ensure grid stability. There we will see a connection of um, home management, uh, energy management, uh, with also um, grid operating measures, uh, which uh, of course requires regulation, which um, is um, still being detailed out on how this works, what kind of devices you need, and also what are what are the rules um, uh, and um, in on, on the market as well as for um, grid operators and consumers. How much um, on the for the customer side? And we're talking about uh, trying to involve the more general public rather than the, the energy nerds uh, around this table. Um, how much can these digital services, how much act activity do they need from the end user? How much involvement do they need? Can the end user be quite passive and just let you guys as the, the clever tech, tech people or the grid operators do it for their benefit, but also knowing that they are, the end user is going to benefit as well. How much of that, or do, do people need to be quite active in using their heat pumps at the right time, charging their car at the right time, etc.? Yeah, in a perfect world, uh, you don't have to do anything uh, because um, your car already tells the energy management system when you probably arrive home. So the energy management uh, can prepare also for charging of the car, etc. Uh, we, we are missing uh, at some points this kinds of seamless integrations between the different devices now. But if you take like the standard setup of a PV, um, a heat pump and, and a local battery, you don't need to worry about configuration. It's set up by the installer typically. Um, then uh, managed by um, the, the company where you purchase uh, the energy management from, as uh, you sometimes also purchase a tariff from that company, uh, and, and then it's managed for you. So I don't expect uh, the majority of consumers to need to worry about energy management uh, every day. Um, some of them will want to look into it and see, okay, how are the systems behaving? What, When am I, for example, um, selling energy? When, when am I purchasing energy? When am I, how's my level of self-consumption? But the majority of people uh, will probably just be happy if they stay on the same level of comfort and uh, as today and um, and save money by doing that. Sorry, sorry. Uh, we don't live in a perfect world. And obviously, you have a charger from one manufacturer, you have solar panels from another right. manufacturer, you have a battery, maybe a home battery or a heat pump from another manufacturer. How do we get over that? 
sort of integration and does there need to be a greater discussion around sort of maybe open source software and those Mm -hmm. sort of things is that where that sort of things are going to come in so i um fully support better standards here in integrating these different kinds of devices because what we see and what we we are dealing with every way uh, every day is um making it as seamless as possible for the for the customer but this requires a lot of work in integrating these kinds of devices just to give you very simple examples each wall box uh, behaves differently or um, because um, values you send or set points you send to a device are interpreted uh, differently uh, from vendor to vendor. So you need to test that. You need to be aware of that. You need to put that into your system uh, to make it work. Also, how, um, uh, for example, a heat pump um, follows directions it gets from energy management um, uh, is different. So there goes a lot of work into integrating these kinds of devices. And of course, it would be um, way better if there would be more standards, but also for heat pump, inverters, batteries, et cetera, it's still an early market. And I do see standardization um, um, there needed and and hopefully coming soon. Um, As of today, making it simple for the customer means we need to do a lot of work in the background um, to make it look easy. Well, better have it early on, not that we repeat the saga that we had with the phone chargers where it took us 20 years to sort it out <laughs> afterwards in the EU, right? So, Tobias, what, what you're actually saying is that from the customer experience, there should not be any any difference. You know, They should not worry about when to switch on the heat pump and look at prices and how they change or grid congestion or whatever data they they might want to monitor but that they actually just go about their lives as they would otherwise and the smart system in the background actually does all of the hard work and works out what needs to be done to deliver the service that people want clearly that that is only attractive if there are financial incentives to do that because otherwise yeah if, if i'm i'm a customer why would i even bother why would i have someone get access to my equipment uh, and modulate the operation of that equipment if there's no upside other than maybe yeah i can i can uh, claim that i contribute to the energy transition by uh, being being a flexible grid resource but that's not going to persuade lots and lots of people i believe so the question i have is to what extent are you seeing financial incentives, for example, in the form of time of use tariffs, actually being offered coming to market across Europe. We've, we've done a study last year on uh, electric vehicle drivers and smart tariffs for those. And we found quite a few of them, I think more than 100. But what we also found is that they seem to be concentrated in a very small number of countries. You already mentioned the Nordics, but also the UK is one of those places where there's a lot of tariffs. And then there are some countries where there are none, uh, you know, not a single time of use tariff. So how are you going to persuade people in places like that to do any of the things that you're talking about? I mean, what, what, what needs to happen to actually engage um, people across Europe in this? So uh, you're, you're fully right. Time of use tariffs across Europe are a key enabler and also incentive for, for consumers. There can be other reasons to have energy management as well, which do not necessarily benefit uh, the homeowner, for example, but can also 
uh, improve the, the the service for a heat pump or PV or full setup provider. Yeah? So it can also, um, there we're moving more into the diagnostic side of things. So to make sure that everything is running well, uh, minimize the um, uh, the visits um, of, of an installer to um, uh, two persons home uh, to, to check whether things everything's running well. So so there are also other reasons, um, good reasons for for energy management. Um, but um, the key incentive um, for um, uh, for the mass market will probably be um, be price signals and and comfort. Yeah, um, and th their time of use tariffs play a major role. We are. Actively monitoring, um, of course, the development across Europe. Um, also jointly with our customers, uh, looking into uh, into markets um, beyond Europe. But there, we've got a lot of catch up to do. With as you said, UK Nordics uh, leading the pack, Germany now now uh, following the Netherlands as well. But um, that's um, something where I hope that uh, regulation across Europe uh, will move in a direction where we have dynamic price signals that then also make sense for customers to um, uh, to invest in an energy management system. Well, so you should be happy about the currently discussed uh, power market design reform. I think uh, there are a few ideas in there, like member states have to do flexibility needs assessment. Exactly. And also, I believe that the times of use tariffs I'm not, I should know this. I think it will be obligatory. It was so far like optional. Um, but so, yeah, that should be, should be all very good news for you then, right? It not is. Sure if you're it following is. the discussions in more detail and want to say something like what you expect from it, from your point of view. Yeah, so um, me being more from the technology side at, at Gridix, yeah, um, it's, um, uh, of course, I'm, I'm following it, but not as uh, intensely as some of, of my colleagues. Um, but of course, um, we uh, also see it in conversations with our customers who are then also very, very closely to the markets, also thinking about bringing new products to the market, like, like a time of use tariff, um, where uh, we have no customer currently who is not actively thinking about if they have not done so already bringing a time of use to, um, uh, on the market which shows the overall dynamics and everyone we are talking um, to um, is um, is heavily discussing time of use flexibility uh, models vpp etc um, how to market flexibility um, more from the of course household um, uh, aggregation point of view uh, but but that's uh, super high on everyone's agenda right now tobias i would like to ask you a question about communication and how to persuade people that all of this is 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 actually a, something they should participate in and i'm asking you the question because i've 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 been quite aware of the coverage in the press of flexibility last winter um not just in in the uk where i live um but also in other places so we've seen a number of cases where energy companies have offered incentives to reduce peak load consumption in the form of rebates mm. um, or in the form of uh, lower tariffs um, off-peak. And a lot of people participated, and it was actually quite successful. But the, the press coverage of it, some of it at least, was extremely negative. It was about energy companies or the grid operator rationing people's energy use, cutting them off the grid, And the coverage was not 
able to actually sell the story to people that this is not only good for them because they can save money, but it's it's actually good for everybody else uh, because it makes a, a cheap for a cheaper energy system overall. And in the long run, uh, you know, we will need a lot more of that. Of course, it's not just the crisis that made this um, you know, very important. This, this was only a few pilots really that were were run last winter. But how do we how do we address that communication challenge? You know, the perception of someone controls my energy use. Uh, and I don't want that, and and that's I think what what the um, certainly the more skeptical media coverage seems to be tapping into. You know that that sense of control by by a third party who I don't trust. Yeah, that that's a super important point, uh, and especially in Germany where data privacy is uh, held in high regard. Yeah. Um, so the I think that there are two sides to it. Um, there is um, the negative press that you mentioned. But there's also the real results we see from last winter where more than 20% energy savings were achieved, of course, in the context of a, of a crisis. Um, but I think there is, there's people behavior on, on the one hand that led, led to the savings, um, even, even above target in, uh, in Germany when it comes to gas. Um, and, uh, on, on the other side, the, um, the, the negative press we, uh, and also the, um, um, the, the, the voting behavior we see. You know, if I just, uh, um, if we look into uh, to Bremen, which is like a very, very small city in Germany, but uh, where uh, elections now took uh, place where the Green Party um, um, uh, didn't perform that well, uh, because a very simple thing happened. Um, the uh, uh, croissant button or the bread roll button, however you may call it, there's no proper translation, I guess, for in, in English, uh, was uh, removed, which is something that you can press if you just want to buy, if you uh, want to go to the bakery and just quickly grab a croissant uh, and then drive off again. Yeah, so you can press this button and you are not charged. Uh, the Green Party uh, removed this button in the city of Bremen, Bremen to encourage people to not use the car, but use public transport or um, uh, walk uh, to the bakery, whatever. So, and, and that uh, had, had, a, had a big backlash that surprised a lot of people yeah, because it was fully in line with uh, the overall idea of um, um, supporting public transport and um, or an alternative means of, of traffic, uh, which shows uh, similar to the heat pump discussion in Germany, then when, whenever it gets real, yeah, and uh, it means real changes in people's lives, uh, we have to over-communicate um, uh, a lot um, to convince people and uh, to um, get them on board. And this will be uh, one of the key challenges going forward now as we're moving from early adopters um, to, to the majority, um, how, how we do this. And um, the, the, a simple thing to do it is, of course, price incentives, because um, in the end, uh, if something is, saves you money or is, is free, it convinces a lot of people um, uh, to, to jump onto it. Yeah? Um, and um, so, so that's why also regulation in this area is, is, is super important to create and also um, uh, products in, in, in that area. Uh, but it also um, uh, is required to really over-communicate, explain also what's happening, plus also uh, making sure that the um, very positive experience that many people have who, who, who've been an early adopter, Jan, as you said, yeah, you, you're saving money um, when charging your EV um, or uh, also using your heat pump. Uh, to get this word out and also tell the stories to to show people and as soon as it spreads it's about your neighbor doing doing this and and, and talking to you about it yeah 
um, where we um, need to combine different um, communication measures like um, uh, central ones from regulation, from, from, from the press, but also uh, word of mouth, uh, to say so, um, to, uh, to get people on board. And there is probably no silver bullet to it. Yeah? I'm not a communications expert. Um, so uh, it, this is primarily also on the plate of our customers who go uh, and, and win consumers uh, for home energy management systems. But um, I would never underestimate this um, this task going forward to win over people and uh, communicate, communicate, communicate. Yeah? I'm not sure it'll help if you spread your good experience with your neighbor, to be honest. I will challenge you on that. I mean, what we've just seen, you referred to it, no? the, in Germany, discussion about the Wärmepumpenzwang, Habeck obligating us to have a heat pump. I mean... Frankly, it's a new level of escalation from from some parts of the media, right? Uh, and uh, and I think, like, I don't know. I, I I maybe you can correct me. I wasn't aware of the flexibility and uh, you know the future voices in this discussion, but I think they should get much more organized and come out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can share your yeah. view on so, that. So, yeah, so as, 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 as I said, I, I yeah, no, as I, as I said, um, I think com communication needs um, um, a couple of parallel measures. It's not only one thing um, that, that you will do. And, uh, and it's, uh, word of mouth is only, is only one pillar yeah, uh, of, of a communication strategy. And again, I'm not an expert on, on communication, yeah? but, but I think the, 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 um, the big part of the job, and, and we see this in Germany, will be done by... Uh, the companies um, like um, the um, um, 1,5, Klarsolar, Eon, um, uh, Termondos and others uh, in the world going out, LG now with heat pumps, um, uh, doing TV ads, um, also doing um, um, uh, other kinds of promotions to um, take, uh, to, to, to win people over and uh, also show them, hey, it's a normal thing to do to get a heat pump. Yeah, it's not exotic. Uh, anymore, and there's also, um, um, uh, and you can also trust in getting it installed, which is a, a super important part of it. Yeah, because currently we we see um, with um, uh, with many installers on the market a, a backlog of like uh, at least six months in Germany before you um, get a date when you get your heat pump or PV installed. Yeah, so it's um, so here a lot of things need to 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 link um, to each other. It's the it's the communication from private companies. It's also clear signals uh, from from regulation. What uh, what is um, uh, what's the way forward? Um, uh, plus uh, plus also then the ability to deliver. Hi everyone, me again. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out, means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to Foresight Climate and Energy so you don't miss out on any of our other podcasts or long-form journalism. Head to the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Um, Tobias, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about sort of helping uh, low-income households. Uh, you know, we're talking about EVs and heat pumps and batteries, and these are all still quite expensive, um, expensive elements here that, that we need to, for for a house to provide flexibility services and for people to uh, access these sort of benefits. How can we encourage? How do we support low-income households? 
in uh, taking advantage of these um, solutions and what sort of level do they need to have in order to play a role? Do they need to have a solar panel on their roof or is it just a case of having a smart meter and therefore they can still access benefits by providing flexibility solutions? Mm. Um, I think this this is a super interesting area, Dave, that, that you bring up. And uh, it's, not, it's not an easy one because um, in most of the... Um, um, low-income households, there is no direct access to the energy resources. Yeah? You usually don't own um, the, the the heating because you're uh, living in an apartment building. Yeah, um, and um, so which which also means that you, as of today, don't have direct access to um, to market flexibility, etc. So, um, and also it requires landlords to go out and in, invest in updating uh, property yeah, to have a heat pump, for example, have PV on the roof, etc. So um, that is an area that still requires, from my perspective, a, a lot of thinking and a, a lot of discussion um, on how to ensure that also consumers in, in these kinds of settings um, have the chance to, to benefit from, from flexibility. And um, the, um, I'm not sure about if there is already um, uh, this, uh, this discussions uh, on, on a regulatory level, yeah, that, that is addressing that that in detail. But um, to uh, who, who will in the end benefit? Is it the grid operator? Is it the landlord? Is it the the uh, apartment uh, renter? Uh, I think that that is still not um, uh, not fully detailed out. And um, I'm and there is a certain risk, of course, that uh, renters in low income households um, uh, will. Um, Will be discussed uh, um, uh, only last, yeah, with uh, grid operators and uh, uh, landlords, and and their benefits being discussed first, yeah, without um, not knowing if there are any. Uh, um, what's the latest thing on that? I'm not sure if uh, Michaela or Jan, uh, if you have um, there are more insights, uh, but that's at least my perspective on it. Yeah? I should know more. Uh, I'll, I'm reading up on it. <laughs> also, just the, the final text of the EU Renewables Directive came out uh, and uh, my, it's, it's, it's a whole novel, this thing. So it takes a while to go through, but I'm pretty sure there is stuff on that uh, in uh, here and there. Uh, I, I'm, I was wondering about, so I'm not one of the geeks. You, we always say here, we all geeks. I don't have any of this yeah? yet, yet. Um, one thing it seems so um okay so these uh, these uh, services that you offer and the hardware that you offer allows me to participate uh, and mostly from what i heard up until now it's uh, it follows the price um i'm wondering whether these services are developed already that they could give me or maybe an industry consumer in particular where it could be interesting the the real time information about the CO2 content or whether you could plug in such a tool. It seems to me still, you know, we always talk about the twin transition, but these twins are very separated at the moment. Huh? So I'm asking this also, you know, there was the hydrogen discussion and all, you know, like, you know, how accurately do they have to follow the real-time carbon mix and operate only when there are renewables. So can you shed a bit of light on that? What the discussion is there, because they're basically, the verdict was, cannot be done. Not even Google can do it at the moment to follow really, you know, and to be 24-7 green. So 
What the, what can you tell us about that? What we have currently implemented in the home energy management um, space is that you have a comparison of um, um, avoided CO2 emissions by moving to green energy compared to your previous tariff yeah? and using that information by in, especially focusing on increased self-consumption on how much um, CO2 emissions have been saved. That's also one of the KPIs we use within the company uh, to measure we are, whether we are successful and making an impact as a company. Yeah? Um, but um, of course, the, the, the whole topic is very complex, specifically if you move into the industrial space, yeah? uh, where you have all sorts of um, sources of, of CO2 emissions. And we are currently focusing on the um, on the home energy management system market as well as the e-mobility dynamic load management market. So um, we are uh, we we don't have on our roadmap um, any um, um, technical support for advanced CO two uh, measurement or even prediction. Yeah, uh, when it comes to industrial sites, it's for sure an interesting topic, um, but um, also a very complex one. Could I just challenge you a bit on the uh, auto key? and maximizing self-consumption point that you made, because I see this quite a lot in, in um, materials by companies that produce uh, heat pumps, EVs, uh, PV, batteries, this, this idea that you can maximize your self-consumption and become independent of the grid. And I have to say, um, I get I get why yeah, it's being used in, 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 in that way, because it's, it's attractive to people. Yeah, the idea, I have my own solar electricity, I can use that. I don't need to import any of the dirty electricity from the grid and it's cheaper. But I think ultimately this is, you know, this is a, this is a, a massive uh, transition and it's not just about an individual household to do that. Uh, and actually, if we, if we optimize for self-consumption maximization and reducing individual bills, my fear is that we do not optimize for the system. You know, we optimize for individuals who can take advantage of this. And by the way, not everybody can, because if you're a tenant and you, you live in an apartment, you don't own an EV, uh, you, yeah, you can't take advantage of it in the same way. Um, so there's also some, I think, fairness issues there. But I guess the challenge I want to put to you is, um, you, to what extent is it actually good to focus on self -con maximizing self-consumption on autarky when we have to decarbonize the entire energy system and we still need a fully decarbonized energy system with all the grid infrastructure and everything else, you know, even if you have 80% self-consumption or 80% autarky, you still need the, the grid to be there and be zero carbon in the future. So how are we going to do that if, if everybody is, is sort of... Um, defecting almost from the system by focusing on their individual consumption. Yeah, good good point, Jan. And I I believe we need both. And also the data shows we need both. Yeah? If you just look at um, electrification of heating and um, uh, electrification of mobility, um, the, uh, the, the, the grid expansion plan in Germany um, estimates a tenfold increase um, uh, over, over the next decades uh, for to, to 60 million heat pumps um, and, and 37 million EVs. And if you look at, at the grids we have today and um, look into what would be needed as a grid um, uh, update to the grid infrastructure, which practically means uh, you need to dig up streets, dig up cables, replace cables. Yeah, It's, it's a massive effort, which is already uh, in, in 
being, uh, being done in some parts of the, of the grid, but you have to do both. We have to find uh, ways to modernize the grid because there will also no, uh, be, will be no 100% auto key. It always be about increasing the level of auto key, but um, we, we see that 80% is already a very good, um, good uh, value to achieve. Um, but um, we at the same, t- but we will probably not be able in time um, to also expand the, the the grid only without o- also looking at optimization on a local level uh, in homes, for example, but also in industrial buildings um, uh, to to get this energy transition, which is a massive electrification uh, transition uh, uh, for the most part done. That, that's how I look at it. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, yeah, there's there's a balance to be struck. And that that balance, um, I think, is not always we don't we don't always get that right. You, you, I think there are cases, for example, where we see the size of uh, solar PV rooftop solar PV shrinking because people want to um, optimize it for you know, their own energy use, and the incentives are not right to actually provide exports to the grid. Which is a real shame. If you have roof space uh, and you live in an area where actually there isn't a lot of solar, actually putting putting as much solar on your roof as you can is probably a good thing, right? Um, so th- right. you need to get the incentives right so people are um, seeing the benefits individually, but also offering the services to the grid and to the energy system more broadly that we need to see. Yeah, and 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 to jump jump on that, Jan, what we've seen in Germany, there have been a lot of people not happy about having wind power um, in, in in their towns, yeah, or especially small towns. And uh, as soon as the regulation changed, and it, it did so recently, that also the the local community benefits from the wind power that is being generated. Um, it, the the, um, the, um, the mood changed totally. Yeah, people now want even more wind power uh, in, in in their village uh, as they now benefit from it. So so making sure that there's also this this uh, mutual connection and, and mutual benefits uh, from um, the energy transition is probably a key part of moving forward. Is there a, a case for you're talking about having all the households connected and everything like that, and that sort of almost solitary? Uh, program or, or on you know i'm looking after my house i've got the power i've got flexibility so do we need that level of granularity on the grid and is the case we've spoken a lot about energy communities recently um is there a case where you can uh from perhaps on a, on a grid operating level or from a, a a grid operation level look at sort of clusters of houses clusters of um factories and energy energy communities to help um sort of promote that flexibility and to access that flexible capacity uh, in a better way that perhaps you could on, on a house by house basis yeah I, I think from a grid operator level and um, I'm, I'm not an expert in, in grid operations uh, but the um, pooling of um, flexibility totally makes sense because you um, at, at least in Germany right now we already um, struggle to understand subparts of the grid properly and and control them actively so um, uh, being able to pool certain um, certain households and um, to uh, or certain industrial buildings totally totally makes sense and also to incentivize that because for the the grid operators it's uh, primarily about grid stability yeah, in daily operations so um, being able to curtail certain loads uh, to ensure grid stability is is basically a, a everyday business 
And here the question is a bit uh, how how you do that, yeah. Um, and it's um, will uh, we we won't see a lot of um, uh, happy faces if it means that you shut down certain heat pumps but keep others running. Yeah, it would be probably about more sm smarter ways of curtailment, and that's exactly what the regulatory discussion is is, is right uh, um, about now. Yeah, in an industrial context, of course, you have different kinds of measures um, and also different incentives you can put. If uh, you, for example, can uh, coordinate uh, curtailment um, with uh, production plans yeah? and reduce production at a, at a certain uh, point in time, which we've also seen is possible as part of the gas crisis uh, we, we had in, in Germany, yeah? that uh, paper mills and other kind of uh, production um, facilities were able to adjust their production plans to save energy. So I think there's a lot of potential. Um, from a grid operator perspective, um, just from day-to-day from -day operations, it will be... Uh, about okay, how can I um, ensure grid stability and um, and and use different flexibility pools to achieve that? But from your point of view, as a, from GridX, you know you're going into um, individual houses and providing these services. Can you kind of cluster various uh, areas or things like that from your point of view? And can you have an overarching view uh, and say, oh, this area needs a little bit? And can can they talk to each other? Basically, I guess is the is the question. Yeah, we're currently working with customers on products where it's about also pooling flexibility and also marketing this um, uh, this pool flexibility from from several households. It's still in early stages. Uh, technically, it's possible, um, and uh, we are currently in piloting phase. So we will probably see this uh, very soon on a larger scale on the market. And the sort of regulations are in place to support that. So there's uh, again depends on 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 the on the countries and uh, in Europe, but um, uh, we're we're moving there. Um, flexibility still requires some some uh, some detailing from a from a regulatory uh, view and from from what I know. Uh, but we are um, uh, my colleagues are also talking not only of course with our customers but also to uh, to other players on the market uh, to to make sure we can move forward there fast. So where do you think we we can take this now? Looking sort of, uh, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to look into your crystal ball in a minute to show your share your vision of the future, but perhaps just specifically about sort of household flexibility and how building operations. Where where's this going to lead in the next sort of ten to twenty years? Are we going to have uh, artificial intelligence doing everything for us? Are we going to have huge amounts of flexibility available to us so we don't need to install grid-scale batteries anymore? Where do you think this can take us? I believe the energy system of the future will be a more complex one in terms of um, uh, more players and also more, more different um, energy resources being being on the market. I don't think it's a question of whether we have like uh, auto key on, on home level versus uh, grid-scale grid uh, battery storage. Yeah? Um, it will probably require a combination of a lot of things um, to, to make it work, which is also then, of course, a key driver of complexity we, we, we need to we need to solve going forward. Um, from a uh, from a critics perspective, um, we see that the um, households electrification um, will will take off. We will be able to manage it way more better for the grid operator as well as for the consumer and the and the in the house owner we have a lot of questions we still need to we need to solve we also talked about um uh, department buildings also industrial buildings um but that's um um but but we see with more data um getting on our platform and we are already processing billions of data points today on our platform but with more data uh, getting there of course um 
AI pattern recognition optimization based on that will um, play a, a larger role. And I expect this to, um, uh, to start uh, already this year uh, and especially next year. It's also a question of scale. Uh, and just on that final point, you mentioned the amount of data that's coming in. That needs to be processed. That needs to be stored somewhere. Data centers, obviously, quite significant um, energy consumers. Are you working on, on um, how to optimize that uh, uh, data storage and data processing as well? And are you working with data center operators as well to help reduce their energy demand? Oh, we could talk uh, an hour about this in detail, but uh, just <laughs> just to share uh, uh, some some points here. Um, that's um, where where we feel we are um, set up quite well with also our local hardware because what we do we um, uh, deliberately decide on what kind of data to crunch uh, on site before sending it to the cloud uh, and and what to be processed in the cloud. This all already gives us. Uh, the opportunity um, to reduce the amount of data that needs to be transferred to the cloud and to data centers um, uh, and um, on, on a local level. Um, and it also then depends on the use case, how much um, data granularity you, you need. Sometimes you need um, uh, data measurements um, every second. Sometimes for some use cases also um, uh, enough if you uh, measure uh, once one every minute or maybe uh, every 10 minutes. Yeah? So we are combining this this kind of uh, different measures uh, to make sure that we um, get the data measurements uh, we need um, to do the uh, get the energy management right, but at the same time be very uh, effective um, in, in doing so and, and limit the data amount of data we need to transfer. Uh, Tobias, thank you so much. Uh, that was a really interesting uh, delve into uh, household flexibility and digitalization there. Before we go, uh, one thing we ask all of our guests is if they could look into their crystal ball, uh, what does the energy transition look like? Uh, to you obviously we've spoken specifically about uh, digital and, and energy services here but maybe more broadly what do you how do you see the energy transition playing out over the next decade or two i believe the electrification of especially heating and mobility um, will um, con continue and um, will scale massively um, and the grid modernization is only one part of the answer um, and with, for example, electric vehicles being basically batteries on wheels from an energy management perspective, uh, more price signals from tariffs like time of use coming into the market, um, we will need energy management. And at the same time, I hope my mother and my sister will not even know that there is energy management, but they will just enjoy uh, comfort and, um, uh, and affordable energy, uh, which is green energy, of course. Thank you, Tobias. Really interesting conversation there. Uh, before we go then, uh, I will go around the table and ask what caught my eye in the last week or so. Uh, Michaela, let's start with you. What caught your eye? It's Beyond Growth Week in Brussels. Uh, so it's a big Beyond Growth conference. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen spoke at it yesterday and said that growth based on fossil fuels is obsolete. Um just what struck me is like if you came up with this topic, say, five or 10 years ago in Brussels, you'd be considered really a, you know, a little bit of a lunatic. But somehow it seems to show that this discussion is entering the, the mainstream also a little bit, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, really interesting. I guess speaking in a European context, uh, growth without fossil fuels is possible. Um, perhaps other areas of the world, not so much. Uh, Jan, what about you? What caught your eye? 
Uh, for me, it was um, a report by Imperial College London um, on the first quarter of this year, where wind for the first time ever in history in the UK has generated more electricity than gas. So that was, um, I think, quite eye-opening and some some rather positive news in, in, in all the uh, negativity that we recently saw in, in some of the media. So that that's mine. Yeah. Really interesting uh, report, that one. Uh, Tobias, what caught your eye? Yeah, two two things. Um, first of all, the 44.1 record temperature in Vietnam, yeah, probably leading up to a record summer, uh, reinforcing everything um, you discuss on this podcast, also why it's important to have uh, formats like this. Um, and um, then a, a satellite picture from Germany, uh, which showed uh, roofs of commercial buildings like supermarkets and warehouses, which uh, have almost no PV at all. So, so the question, why no PV? And, um, di- and then an article diving into, the, into this that, of course, grid operators require curtailment um, if they want to connect this large uh, uh, PV um, setups, uh, which then also need to be audited by independent experts uh, before they can be connected to the grid. Um, and uh, which is uh, comes also with different requirements from operator to operator. And in Germany, we have a couple of hundreds of them, uh, similar to other countries. So um, then pointing clearly to we need more standards. We also talked about it on uh, on uh, for, for the uh, different devices like heat pumps, et cetera, but also on how we connect renewable energies to really move things forward. And those two things caught my eye last week. Shouldn't they just be obligated, the grid operators, to connect? Well, if the cable is not capable of taking the load, then it's just, uh, yeah, of course, it needs to be checked, yeah, whether you can connect uh, PV and uh, also manage it from a grid operator level. Yeah, interesting. Some uh, really uh, fascinating topics there that we could delve into. Maybe we'll get a grid operator on that would be great. to answer some yeah. of those questions. Um, just finally, then from me, um, just finally, then from me, uh, my, what caught my eye was a, an Instagram post from a Swedish firm Vattenfall. Oh my god! Um, I don't know what that was. <laughs> did you? I, I did share it. I shared it on our, our podcast WhatsApp group, and everyone very much enjoyed it. It was um, they've um, produced a face mist out of the industrial emissions from their fossil-free hydrogen production. Um, I don't know whether they actually produced a face mist, but they've got they made an advert as if they did, and they got Cara Delevingne, the model, uh, to promote it. It was all very tongue in cheek, but also very entertaining. Um, and I, but I guess we talked about the sort of uh, communication problems that the energy transition sometimes faces. But I thought this was a really interesting way of showing, um, you know, how fossil-free hydrogen, green hydrogen, um, what it is, and and how clean it actually is. And you can make a face, face mist out of it, um, potentially. I guess uh, I'd say I'm not sure we'll see it in the shops very much, but it was still an interesting um, advert. That we'll we'll post that on the show notes uh, as with all the other links that uh, so our listeners can take a look if they want to know more. Um, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Tobias, Michaela, Jan, and our new producer Kira. Uh, if you have any thoughts or questions about anything we've said on today's podcast, you can reach us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Dave W underscore Foresight. Tobias at Tobias Mitter. Jan at Jan Rosenholm and Michaela. If you have any questions for the team, you can also tweet the show at What Matters Pod or email us at show at whatmatterspodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all again next time.